Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the book of Romans chapter 12, Pastor Murphy showed us how a Christian should respond during difficult circumstances. Today we'll see how the believer should respond to another believer's difficulties and needs. Okay, I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And I want to pick up uh, verse number 13 as our text this morning. Let's read verse number 9 to verse number 13. I don't want to go all the way down to the bottom this morning. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, we meet around your word this morning to hear what exhortation and what encouragement you have for us as your people. We look to scripture for guidance as to how we are to live, how we are to conduct ourselves, and especially how are we to respond and react to the eventualities that come our way. We ask you this morning as we pick up uh, these two injunctions that we find in verse number 13, I pray that we as Christians living in the 21st century uh, might not for one moment think that these have no relevance to us. We pray that we may understand that there is a biblical teaching that Christians should be generous and that we should be hospitable. This is not something that we should do grudgingly or we should do with murmuring and grumbling. This is a delight for us as Christians, especially when it comes to the brotherhood and the sisters in Christ. Some of us might have neglected this responsibility. Some of us don't think it applies to us. But I pray this morning as we delve into it and we begin to look at it more closely, that we would once again understand that it's a clear task and a clear duty and a clear responsibility that we as Christians have to each other. Show us how this can be applied in a modern age in which we live. And the complaint that is often made is that the church is not practical. We just teach theology, we just teach doctrine. So it's important for us to understand the application of that doctrine to our lives and how it should impact how we live and how we relate to each other. I pray for your guidance this morning. I pray for your help this morning. I pray for your insight this morning. And I pray you'll give me the gift of communication in such a way that uh, your people will grasp what is explained. But above all, that you'll give them a heart to start implementing these injunctions that fall list to these Roman believers. It is not only for them, it's for us. It's for the church. 
And therefore, uh, we too fall under the same injunctions of this chapter. Help us this morning as we go into your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What I find uh, in this particular passage is that the Apostle Paul had the unusual genius of being able to compress so much truth in so brief words. It seemed to have a, an amazing gift this Apostle Paul had. Uh, the gist of what the Apostle Paul is saying uh, in this particular passage is that you and I as believers have got a God-given responsibility to be both generous and to be hospitable. That's the main emphasis of these, uh, this verse that we have here. What Paul wants us to do as Christians is to use the resources that God had vested in us as a church. Remember that in verse number 12, uh, when we're dealing with the external circumstances that come our way, the difficulties and the troubles and the trials that we, call, we have, the Apostle Paul calls them tribulations. When we are faced with those things, Paul tells us that, quite frankly, God has given us three resources. And Paul says he wants those resources to be used. And in that particular passage, the Apostle Paul says the Christian have to lay hold of hope when he's faced with difficulties. And then the Apostle Paul says, you know what, you also need to be very patient. And the word there means, quite frankly, uh, courageous endurance when you're faced with difficulties in life. And then the third thing Paul says, you need to have this continuous spirit of prayer, continuing instant in prayer. Those are the three resources we use when we are faced with difficulties in life, trials and tribulations and uh, testing that we face as a believer. Now, you find that uh, when we come to this other matter, uh, the Apostle Paul wants to know that we are not the only ones that are faced with difficulties. We are not the only ones that will face with trials and temptations and testings. In verse number 13, he is saying to us, we not we don't know how to respond to other believers who are in difficulties like we ourselves are faced with. So it's not, you know, sometimes we think we're the only ones that have problems. We don't want to got difficulties. But in verse number 13, the Apostle Paul is now shifting from our own tribulations and our difficulties, etc. And Paul is now reminding us that listen, there are other Christians that face the same kind of difficulty that you face, it may even be worse. And the question, of course, that must be asked and answered is, how are we now to react and respond to those believers who are faced with these kind of, of difficulties? And Paul does not hesitate. He does not waver to remind us that we have a responsibility to, to try to meet the needs of these believers. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes so far not only to tell us that we have a responsibility, but he gives us very specific guidelines in the practical ways in which we can help persons in these difficult times. He said, number one, we've got to, as a believer, learn to distribute unto the necessity of the saints. And what does that mean? Right. Secondly, Apostle Paul says that we ought to be given to hospitality. And then what does that mean? There can be no doubt that Paul is conveying here in these two clauses that the believer is to respond to other people's needs. Now, he dealt with your needs before. He tell you what you need to do. 
But now he's talking about your response now, your reaction to the needs of other people. I want to first of all begin by examining the language that Paul uses in this text so there's no doubt in your mind what Paul is teaching. When Paul says distributing to the necessity of the saints, that's the first injunction that he gives in verse number 13. I would say to you it's a very unfortunate translation because the word Paul uses here does not mean distributing. We get the idea that Paul is saying that, you know, that we have certain resources, so what we do, we distribute them to, to people. That's what Paul is teaching in this passage. You can check it up in your concordance. You can check it up in the uh, Strong's or the Young's concordance. You see that the word here is a very unfortunate word. It's not the translation of the word. Now, it is true that it helps to convey the richer, fuller, deeper meaning inherent in the word. But that's not what this word means. The word that Paul uses here is the word koinio. And what it means is to share with or into partnership with. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean distribute. It means to share with or into partnership with. Uh, the noun of this word you are very familiar with. Uh, the word is, uh, the noun is koinonia, and the word always talks about the fellowship or the communion. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13, uh, Paul uses the word, uh, he said that we, that we might rejoice in the fact that we are partakers of the sufferings of Christ. Same word. Same word. No, we don't distribute the sufferings of Christ. We share in the suffering. That's what that word means. We are partners. Same word that Paul is using here. In uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and verse 44, when it talks and the disciples were in the fellowship with the apostles, same word, sharing with the apostles, not distributing the apostles. So when you look at the meaning of the word, you trace the meaning of the word, you find that what Paul is saying here, that the believer need to share with the needs of believers who are in difficulty or in trouble or who have some particular necessity that they have. This word is also translated in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, about the communion with the Holy Spirit. We don't distribute the Holy Spirit. We share, we partner with the Holy Spirit. So that's what Paul is talking about in this passage. She's not here merely talking about distributing to the necessity of the saints. He's talking about something much deeper and closer and more personal and more profound. He's talking about entering into the sharing and partnership with those who are in need as believers. That's what Paul is saying here in this particular part. In other words, the idea is this, that you feel such a burden for what another believer is going through or what he is faced with that you are now disposed to share and help him in that situation. That's what Paul is talking about. It's a kind of, well, the word is not sympathy, it's empathy. Empathy is when you put yourself in somebody else's shoes and you begin to understand what they're going through because you share their world. Sympathy is feeling sorry for somebody. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about actually sharing and partnering with people. That's the first thing, I think, the first concept that we need to be very, very clear about. Now the word necessities. What does that mean? Well, the word that Paul uses, the word clear, 
and it means needs. In other words, Paul is talking about what we call the basic necessities of life, like food and drink and clothing. He's not talking about sharing the person's desires or their likes or their wishes or their prejudices or their wants or you know, what we call their tastes. They got certain tastes. And by the way, that distinction needs to be made because there's some people who don't know the distinction between needs and luxuries. You know. So what Paul is, is saying to you as a believer, when a believer is going through, uh, you share in what his needs are, not in his luxuries. Something completely different. In other words, there is a difference between needing food, drink, and clothing than needing chocolate, strawberries, and steak. And there's some people that you will find as this church go to meet the needs of people, they want to tell you what they want, right? They don't want rice. They don't want beans. They want you to give them maybe goat meat, right? And of course, goat meat is one of the most expensive meats in Antigua, if you don't know that. So you can't eat goat regular, right? I think it's like 12 or $13 a pound, if I'm not mistaken. It might even be more than that. Right? It's gone down. Oh, gone up. Okay, you just made me feel bad. I thought I was embarrassing myself. <laughs> okay. So you, you, this is why Paul specifies. Here's a person who is a Christian going through a difficult time. Your responsibility as a believer is to try to help them with their needs, not their wants. See? That needs to be very, very clear, and that distinction needs to be made so that we are not caught up in a vortex of a situation where we feel overwhelmed that we can't meet certain requirements that a person has. And then notice what Paul says again, and the third word that Paul uses here, distributing to the necessity of who? The saints. Paul is not talking about everybody. The church is not responsible for everybody in Antigua. Let me put it this way. The church is not responsible for the poor outside in Antigua. The church is mainly responsible for the poor within the church. The saints, our brothers and sisters in Christ, always must come first. We must not be so concerned about, you know, well, they've got so many poor people in Antigua. Of course they may have that. But we need to look after the poor in our church first. The saints. Distributing the necessity of the saints. Caring for the saints. Sharing with the saints. God's people. And that word, by the way, is saying, is a word that uh, I must protest about the Catholic Church who says that there are few saints. And that the only saints uh, in the Catholic Church are those who the church has canonized because of what certain people have done. They've performed certain things. That's not what a saint is in the Bible. A saint is not a saint because of what he does. A saint is what, what God has done for that person, redeemed him, saved him. Sanctified him, set him apart. That is the same. And that is the person that we as Christians are responsible to try to reach out to them in terms of their needs. So when Paul talked about uh, distributing or uh, sharing the necessities of the saints, he's talking about those people who are set apart. Set apart by the Holy Spirit, by faith unto Jesus Christ. And you will find several times in the Bible it talks about we are set apart by the Spirit. We are set apart unto Jesus Christ. Those are saints. In other words, every single believer who is truly saved is a saint. The church can't make saints. God makes saints. 
And I don't, I think we've missed this whole meaning. What You remember when Paul is writing the Ephesians, he says, to the saints at Ephesus, all the believers at Ephesus. When he wrote to the Romans, he said to all that in Rome of God, uh, beloved of God, call to be saints or saints by calling. Greetings. That's how he described all the Christians in the church of Rome and the church of Ephesus. There's not a special group of people are saints. Every born again believer is a saint before God. And when Paul says here caring or sharing or partnering in the necessity of the saints, he's talking about Christian believers or brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's saying that we have a responsibility in that regard. I will give you a verse that will come later on where Paul says that um, as much as left within you, do good to all men. And then he adds, especially, especially to the believers, especially to the saints. See? That is our first priority. See? Our first priority. But you know, the problem is that it looks so good that we have a soup kitchen if we had one and all these people coming in as though the church is doing something. But what about the poor in the church whose needs we neglect. Because we are so focused on the outside, we don't look on the inside. See? Paul gives priority to those within the church that have need as opposed to those outside the church. Your first priority should be the saints. Now notice the second injunction that he gives us here in verse number 13. He says, not only distributing or sharing or partnering in, in the meeting the necessity of the saints or the needs of the saints, but also given to hospitality. Now, once again, I do not want to see my dorm protesting all the time or too frequently in connection with the translation. But again, that's a very, very weak translation. Hospitality. In the Greek language, the word is filio. Xenia. Okay. And the word filio means love, and xenia means stranger. So what Paul is saying here in the passage, given to the love of the stranger. See? That's what he means. And the word that he uses here is not agape, by the way. It's the word phileo, which means have affection or a fondness for the stranger. That's how Christians are supposed to be. See? When a stranger comes into your realm as a church, uh, you should actually, as a believer, try to see what you can do. For example, let me just put it this way. We've had several people from the medical school that uh, came to our church. You know, I've always said that from this pulpit. I think that uh, there's times when I feel that some you, some you should target those people. When I say target those people, invite them to your home. It don't, it, if I just said, don't have a meal with you. They're a stranger. Be a lover of strangers. The problem is that we invite our friends. That's our problem. But the Lord said, you know, when you're going to have a party, you don't invite your friend who can invite you back to his party. You invite the stranger and in the highway and the byway. See, he, this, the, the, you do something for the guy who can't do something for you. But too often, we are looking at reciprocating. We do so that we will get in return. And Paul is saying, as Christians, not only must you share and partner in the needs of the saints, 
but you must also learn to be given to hospitality. Love the stranger, that's what it means. Have an affection, a fondness for the stranger. You remember, it's exactly the same word that Paul uses in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. He said, be not forgetful to entertain strangers. That's the term that Paul used. He said that some people entertain angels by accident. Uh, I'm not saying you wait until you see an angel to invite them. Uh, That's not what he's saying. But he did point out in the Old Testament, the people who entertain. uh, We can think of um, the case of Abraham. We can think of the case of... um, uh, Samson's parents, uh, etc., when they discovered that these were angelic beings. But the point is here that you've got to love, love strangers. Now, the, the other word that is used here, given to hospitality, again, uh, the word there is used as dioko. That's the word. And you know what that word means? Strange, very strange. That word means to pursue, to seek after eagerly, to earnestly endeavor to acquire so what he's saying here is pursue the hospitality of strangers. In other words, see it as something that you passionately go after, not something you do reluctantly. Vincent, in his word studies, uh, define it as seeking after or pursuing the love of strangers. Of course, he's talking about showing kindness to strangers and kindness to people uh, who are visiting the church or visiting from another country. Uh, That should be one of our first priorities uh, as believers. Uh, By the way, to show you how this word is used here, this word given to hospitality, how it is used, let me give you three other uses where this word is used in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, you remember chapter 13 is about the love chapter? Love does this, chapter 13. And then after he's giving you all of these fine qualities about what true Christian love is, he begins chapter 14 with these words. Follow after charity. It's the same word. Pursue charity. Pursue it. Go after it. Same word he's using here in this passage. Also in Philippians, let me show you, look at Philippians chapter 3 for just a moment. Let me show you three uses of this word that would shock you. Three times Paul uses the same word in Philippians. Look at verse 6. Concerning zeal, doing what? Per- See that word persecuting? It's the same word that is used here. What Paul is saying, considering pursuing the church. That's the exact word that is there. And you, you get the idea? Paul did not pursue the church reluctantly. Paul was actively engaged in going after. That's the same word he's saying here, pursuing the love of strangers as believers. Look at verse 12. Not as though I've already attained, neither were already perfect. But I what? Follow. See the word follow after? It's the same word. Same word, follow after. Pursuing. And then look at the word in verse number 14. I press towards the mark. You see the word press towards? It's the exact word that Paul uses here in uh Corinthians, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 13. He is pursuing something. He's following something. He's pressing after something. The exact word that Paul is using here in this particular passage. 
So you'll notice that in this particular word that Paul uses, the inherent meaning is one of eagerness, zeal, keenly pursuing something, pressing after something. Those are the basic concept inherent in this word given to hospitality. So Paul is recommending here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, the very opposite of what Peter abominates in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Look at verse 9. Verse 8 says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Fervent love among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. But there's the next verse. Use hospitality one to another without what? Grudging. Paul is saying the very opposite of what Peter says was happening in the church there. Without grudging. And the word grudging there, by the way, is the word um, gongosmos. And it means complaining or grumbling. So here are people in the church uh, being hospitable, but under the breath of the nose, they said, I wish I didn't have to do this. I just wish I didn't have to do this. And they claim to them, I can't believe I got to do this. I can't believe I got to do this. They're grumbling. See? And Peter says, that's not the way you show hospitality. You must not be complaining that you got to do it. You should pursue it as something you should delight in doing. You see how different their spirit is to ours? And how their attitude was so much more spiritual, so much caring, so much loving than ours. To think that within that, uh, the church here, there's a reluctance, a murmuring, a complaining, a griping, a half-heartedness is what he's saying. They're doing it, but they're doing it regretfully. Peter says, uh, you know, don't do it. And Paul is now given the very opposite of what these people were doing. Now, these two injunctions that we're talking about here, generosity and hospitality, are two of the most frequent uh, things that are mentioned in the Bible and are commended and urged again and again in Scripture. You can't read the Scripture without seeing that these were vitally important ingredients within the first century church. Let me use several examples to show you that uh, in, in several passages. Let's look at this idea of sharing or, or generosity for just a moment. Look at me at Romans chapter 15. Let's see what Paul says in verse number 26. He says, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister to, unto the saints, verse 25. For I have pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are Jerusalem. You see that? The Jerusalem church is going through great difficulty. They don't have the resources to meet the needs within the congregation. The churches in Macedonia and Achaia learns that the Jerusalem church is going through some kind of severe financial hardship. And what did they do? What did they do? They send funds. They help the young, the, the, the struggling believers in, in Jerusalem. You know why they do that? Because they're one family. 
how you have to think. You have to think beyond the four corners of your church, the box world in which we live, and understand there may be times when there are legitimate needs in other groups, other places. Like, let me just show you. I mean, our church, as I'm concerned, I think we're fairly generous as a church. Most of you know that uh, we pay the education for Pastor Claude's children in, in, in uh, Cameroon. I mean, we could not have heard that the children have to go to school and they're having problems with them. We had the means to do it. So why would we not want to help a brother and a sister because it's so far away from us when we can help them? And that's what the church has done. And I commend the church for doing that. See? But we can always do more than we're doing. It has to do with the generosity of our spirit. But notice. Now remember that these people in Jerusalem, a case in Asia Minor. Look the distance between the two. And remember the Jerusalem church was the mother church. Out of all where the other churches came from. Now there's a need there. And it's brought to the church of the Macedonia and Achaia. And they uh, take up a contribution to help the struggling believers in Jerusalem. Generosity. Generosity. I think sometimes that modern churches are so concerned about building these monstrosities. A church just needs a functional building. That's all we need. We don't need to have these big monstrosities that uh, I don't know who we're trying to impress because we're certainly not impressing God. See, You know what we do? A lot of those, those churches build these massive structures. They're spending the next 30 years paying off a mortgage. And they can't do what they should be doing because the mortgage payments have to be made. Otherwise, the bank seizes the property. Generosity. Manifested in these Achaean church and in Macedonian church. These pagan churches, these Gentile church are now helping the Jewish church. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. I see another reference to this concept of sharing and generosity. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10. He said in verse number 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall weep if we faint not. And as you have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men. And notice that phrase, especially them of the household of faith. Notice opportunity. If the opportunity is there, seize the moment. By the way, do you realize we only pass through life once? The only time we have to help to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters is now. We can't look down from heaven saying, I wish I had done that. And remember, I'll point out to you, whatever we do for the believer, we do for Christ. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying for us, look for opportunities to be able to help our brothers and sisters in need. See, if God has given you means, uh, those means are your stewardship of those means. And you now need to see how you can use those means that God has done and let God guide you in the use of them. You know, your means are not just for you, your family, and yourself, you know. I want to say that it's not just for you, your family, and yourself. Whatever we have, we are stewards. And, and, and God should guide us in how we use our stewardship. And one of our primary concerns should be 
our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, when they are faced with a particular need. Uh, ask you to turn to me with Philippians chapter 4 and see another example of this uh, unusual generosity that was manifested in the New Testament church. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, and this is Paul's needs being met now. He said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, he said to these believers, he said, uh, he said, notwithstanding you have done well that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I was departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. One of the most generous churches in the New Testament is the Philippian church. Twice, uh, Paul was going to say that when I was in need, you were the only church that met my need. See, Could this explain why of all the epistles, there's no reprimand in the book of Philippi for that particular church? It was the spiritual quality of that church. And it was manifested in this capacity to be generous, uh, even to meet the legitimate need. Now, Paul was self-supporting, we know that. Uh, he decided that he would uh, not depend on any support from the ministry. He would do tents, and he did that, right? But there were times when no tents are being built. There's no need for tents. So we do in a case like that. No, sucks all. See? No, then the church learns that Paul has a need. And you know what it didn't say? What he had, he's been doing all these tents. He got all this money stacked away so he could draw down on it. That's not what they're thinking. They hear that they have a need, and they're not trying to evaluate. See? By the way, if you evaluate, you, you've hardly helped anybody. You know that? Because we always think that they got something in, under, the, under the mattress. You know, stuff away in a little bag. You know? So you, you can't make that kind of judgment. You've got to, when the opportunity comes, you've got to see it as an opportunity for, for you to respond to that need. Uh, but and, uh, could I say this? One of the, the two people, that, two types of people that always, you've got to be the, the professional beggar. That's the guy you meet every time you go in the supermarket. He's 25 years old, 20 years old, but he's now learned one thing. I don't have to work. I can beg. So you, that's a guy that you've got to be very, very careful with. There's nothing wrong, by the way, in sometimes helping him. But you also have to tell him, quite frankly, you need to find a job. See, You need to learn to work. See? Because if you keep giving to that person again and again and again and again without restrictions, there's no incentive to find a job. And he learned to learn. So what happened? There's a guy now that goes over here by um, Cross Pro, young fella. When he doesn't get there, he goes over by Kentucky over here. Kentucky Fried Chicken. So where do people come to the glass to collect their stuff? He's always there, you know. I told him, I said, listen, you know, <laughs> when we get this drug rehab thing going, you're one of the guys I really would like to help. Honestly, I said, I'd like to get you, get your mind clean up, everything, and just get you with a skill, get you in a position where you can be independent on your own. I, I told him that I would like to do that. But meanwhile, there's so many things he can do. You can carry a bucket and offer to wash your car. I mean, you might, you know, you give him all the time, but you can't keep giving, 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 and he's doing nothing. He's just living off of you. And he has learned that's a fine art, and he knows how to please, plead with your heart. And for me, when I see a man begging in particular, I, 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 in my mind, I think he's at his lowest point because the indignity 
of a man having to beg is something I can't fathom. You've got to reach rock bottom to be in that state. The other person you've got to watch out is the, what I call the professional con man that comes to church. We've had one or two of them here, by the way. He comes in, they sit down in the church, and after church, he comes to the pastor. That's a wonderful sermon. Never heard a sermon like that in my whole life. You know, boy, he butters you up. Then he said, you know, but uh, can you give me $500? You know. We've had people like that. Remember, there's a guy who came in here, uh, this fellow, a uh, very tall fellow. He, by the way, you understand, he got killed in prison. You know, he would come to me, Pastor Murphy, can I give you, I want some tracks. I want some tracks. I said, man, I can give you as many tracks as you want. So you meet me down here, give him a lot of tracks, but then I learned behind giving the tracks, he wants money too. His whole motive is all wrong. He's a con man. He's learned to live by his wits. So those are two people you need to be weary and leery of. The professional beggar and the con man that comes to church. Ask for discernment in dealing with those type of people. Look at also at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 17 and 18. This is what Paul, instruction that Paul gave to the believers within the church. He said, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So tell them that if what they have, God has given to them. And they ought to enjoy it. See? Ought to enjoy it. But then he says these words. That they do good. That they be rich in good works. And ready to distribute. Willing to communicate. See? The man with means. The woman with means. That God has endowed you with means. You should be eager and willing to help those in needs within the church, the brethren. Charge them. Tell them that's what they should be doing. In other words, you can't go through the New Testament without understanding that this was a vital ministry that was so crucially important uh, to the church. And it is emphasized again and again within the Pauline epistles. I want you to look at one other reference here that is in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16. He said, but to do good and to communicate the same idea of distributing, uh, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is what? Well, please. In other words, when you give to a saint in need, you have actually given to God and God is pleased with that. So he's now incentivizing believers not to do it grudgingly, half-heartedly, and murmuring, I can't believe this, I can't believe this, you know. No, a delight because you're doing it as unto the Lord, and the Lord is pleased with it. By the way, when you come to a passage like this, and it goes against the grain of your thinking, let me tell you why that is so. Paul does not teach these injunctions except after he's taught the first 11 chapters and verse number 12, chapter 12. In other words, he's going to talk about these things in the later, but if you read the beginning of the chapter, which lays the foundation for us to do these injunctions, 
Paul points out three things at the beginning of this chapter. Number one, he's talking about the mercies of God. When you understand how merciful God has been to you, how generous God has been to you, it naturally flows that you should understand that you should be generous to other people too. If you are stingy, it's because you don't understand the mercies of God. That is why everything in this chapter is based on the beginning of the chapter. The teaching at the beginning lays the foundation for Paul to put these injunctions. Because he knows you can't do this injunction until you understand the mercies of God. And I don't know about you, sir. I can't speak to you, madam, but when I look at my life, God has been merciful. I don't know why I'm still alive. Honest to God. You know, I don't think I'm a good Christian. I keep telling people this. I think I'm the worst Christian there is on planet Earth. Honest to God, I feel I don't feel I'm doing what I, as much as I should be doing. I don't feel my... You know, when you look at yourself and you give serious thought to the depths of your life, you begin to leave it's like how short, fall short you are. And then you begin to how merciful God is to you. But the second thing that Paul emphasizes is not only the mercy of God, but unless you surrender yourself to him, I beseech you therefore, Lord, that you present your bodies. If you're not a surrendered Christian, this will go against the gain of your thinking. You can't think about helping other people because you're selfish and mean. You have no set of God's mercy, but not only that, you have not surrendered to him. So what you have don't belong to him, it belongs to you. You don't see yourself as a steward of what you have. And the third thing Paul says, you must what? Renew your mind. Renew your mind. The only way you can change that selfish thinking you have, that mean thinking you have, that incompassionate thinking you have, that impossible attitude that you have, is to have your mind renewed. So if you don't know God's mercy, if you're not a surrendered believer, and you, uh, your mind is not renewed, all that Paul is teaching go against the grain. You're saying, but what is man talking about? You have no inclination either to be generous or to be hospitable. So the fault, sir, is not in your stars, it's in yourself. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us more examples from Scripture of hospitality and explains why it was so necessary for Christians to have generosity and hospitality in the New Testament days. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.